You like it? No? Okay. Well, hey, let's open our Bibles to Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49. Jim? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Sweet. Thank you. You're sweet. You're sweet. Thank you. Thank you. So cool. Thank you. Hey, I'll tell you, it was a, it was a really a blessed time and we got a, an awesome bunch of players who handled really difficult stuff. I mean, that was the, probably the most challenging musically and, uh, the Lord was very kind. It was really, really fun. So thank y'all. Um, so here we are in Isaiah 49, uh, we're going to start in verse 1 and read the whole chapter, so bear with me. Isaiah 49. This is God's word. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named me, my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has become my strength. He says... It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to the deeply despised, abhorred by the nations, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor, I have answered you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, come out, and to those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways, on all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them, for he who has pity on them will lead them. And by springs of water will guide them, and I will make all my mountains a road, and my highways shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Cyrene. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people, and he will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget you, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your builders make haste, your destroyers and those who laid you waste go out from you. Lift up your eyes all around and see, they all gather, they come to you. As I live, declares the Lord, you shall put them all on as an ornament. You shall bind them on as a bride does. Surely your waste and your desolate places and your devastated land, surely now you will be too narrow for your inhabitants and those who swallowed you up will be far away. The children of your bereavement will yet say in your ears, this place is too narrow for me. Make room for me to dwell in. 
Then you will say in your heart, who has borne me these? I was bereaved and barren, exiled and put away. But who has brought these up? Behold, I was left alone. From where have these come? Thus says the Lord God, behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and my... And Raise my signal to the peoples, and they shall bring your sons in their bosom, and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. Kings shall be your foster fathers, and their queens your nursing mothers. With their faces to the ground, they shall bow down to you and lick the dust off your uh, dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. Can the prey be taken from the mighty, or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? For thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken and the prey of the tyrant be rescued. For I will contend with those who contend with you and I will save your children. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh and they shall be drunk with their own blood as with wine. Then all flesh shall know that I am the Lord, your savior and your redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. Let's pray one more time. Father, May the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm half Czechoslovakian, and I know you're going, oh, it's, it's the Czech Republic, it's not Czechoslovakia. But no, I really am half Czechoslovakian because that's what it was back then. And so my, the story is something like that. my great-grandparents, the couple sets of them on that side, you know, escape with like, you know, their clothes and a, some stale bread and a cut glass vase in their rucksack. And that cut glass vase was in our house growing up as a child. It was this cut glass check vase and uh, it was really pretty and it was in a prominent place and it was, we were supposed to be careful to guard it and all that kind of stuff. And, and I don't have all the facts straight in my mind, but somewhere around 16 or 17 years old, I had a Frisbee in the house. And... Um, you know, I just, I just picture him on the boat, you know, just cowering and trying to protect this thing and getting it onto Ellis Island and everything. And I'm like, boop, 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 frisbee, ba-boom, and it's gone. Well, um, you know, folks, I bet a lot of you can think of things like that in your life. Um, something that was precious, something that was solid, something that was stable, something that you really cared about, some, something relational maybe, uh, a job maybe. Um, a precious possession um, that is now shattered. And I bet you can look at your life, at lives and, and think of shattered relationships and shattered experiences and shattered families and shattered psyches, shattered bodies even. I mean, our prayer requests are about failing bodies a lot of the times, and it's not just people who are 107 years old. It's everybody. A lot of shattered things. Um, and then you look back on your life, and there, there are words we cannot take back. There are things we've said that we can't reel back in again. Um, there are uh, deeds we can't undo. There's damage we can't uninflict. A lot of shattered things in life. And then, of course, there's the world at large. I mean, just a, a glance at the world around you. And what do you see? I mean, do you see... You see peace and harmony, and you know, every generation that's born is, is going, we want to make a difference in this world, and that's great. I'm glad you do. We're going to change the world for the better, not like all these dummies that went before us. We're going to fix. That's great. But hang out for 10 or 20 years, and the next generation is going to go, we're going to fix the world. And you're going to go, man, it's a broken world, isn't it? 
I mean, everybody wants to fix the world. Everybody wants to make it a better place. Everybody wants to work hard and do better and pull together and get smarter and all that stuff. But man, it's a broken world, isn't it? It's shattered. Um, you know, I uh, gave my parents a Christmas present. Uh, I didn't think about it, hadn't thought about it in a long time since I was, until I was working on this and, re- and right here. But it was a, I didn't, I'd never even heard of T.S. Eliot. But I saw this little thing, picture of a sink and it had this little thing on it. And I thought, oh, that's cool, man. I was in high school. I bought it for my parents for a Christmas present. And I, I know they looked at it and they were like, ugh, our child is so disturbed, you know. Um, but it was this. Um, One thinks of all the hands that are raising dingy shades in a thousand furnished rooms. You know, you can see why your parents would think that you might be suicidal if you gave that to them. They're like, what's wrong with you? But I I remember even in high school, I found that to be so profound because, you know, folks... um, you drive around these pretty neighborhoods and you see the houses with the lights and the doors are decorated and it's so sweet and it looks so idyllic. And, you know, if you're in Chicago, you see a brownstone and you go, oh, look at that. If I just had a brown, all my problems would be solved. If I lived in a brownstone, I bet they're just having a great time in there. Well, man, behind every one of those decorated doors is a kid crying in her bedroom and somebody struggling with a secret sin and and somebody struggling with something that happened to him 65 years ago. I mean, it's a broken world. You just look at a shattered world all around you. Well, I've got a good word of hope from you. Um, and it's, it's from our passage here. Um, it, it's, it's, I think this, this is what, is what, what this is saying is this. Jesus fixes the smashed and broken and sad. Uh, you may or may not have known that this passage is about Jesus. I know I'm reading it and you're going, what in the world are eating what blood and that, that's, wow, what is all this stuff? This is, this is talking about Jesus Christ and, and the rescue that is going to come and ultimately uh, and fully this great reason that we have for hope. So lest you think that I picked some kind of weird Bible passage in order to be creative at Christmas and jazz it up. I'm not. I didn't. This is about the Lord Jesus, and it ties very closely to the stuff that we love to hear Linus say and Dr. Young say um, uh, in Luke 2 uh, this time of year. So let's go to our first point, which is this, the ideal Israel. Now, if you look at verse 1, it says, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples, from afar. Now, it opens, it opens by saying, listen to me. So we have to ask, who's talking? Who is the one doing the speaking? And we might be quick to say, well, that's got to be Isaiah. Um, and, you know, because at the beginning of the book, I mean, you have to turn, but at the beginning of the book, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, uh, and so on. We go, well, maybe that's probably Isaiah talking right there. Okay, well, um, we might be quick to guess that. Um, however, look at verse 12 of the previous chapter. Um, Listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel, whom I called. I am he, I am the first, and I am the last. Does that sound like Isaiah? No. I mean, uh, it's, it's God speaking through his mouthpiece, but that's not Isaiah going, hey, listen to me. It's got quotation marks. So he's saying, hey, this is what God's saying. This is what God told me to tell you. Listen to me. In other words, God. It's not Isaiah in his own authority. So what's so interesting about this is it's a speaker saying, listen to me. He's not quoting anybody. He's saying, listen to me, O coastlands. Give attention, you peoples from afar. And so 
whoever this is, it's a, someone of great significance, and it's someone who has a voice that goes everywhere. He's not just saying, hey, uh, you guys over here. He's saying, no, everybody, the expanse of all humanity, listen to me, O oh, coastlands, uh, peoples from afar. Now, um, let, me, let me give you a little universe history. You want a little bit of universe history? All right, that brings us up to this point. Here's universe history. God exists in eternity. He is completely satisfied. He's not lonely. He's not bored. He is self-sustaining. He's got all the knowledge and all the power. He exists. He is enough. There's perfect unity within the persons of the Godhead, uh, perfect aim, perfect share, um, enjoyment of uh, attributes, God is self-sufficient. And what happens? Well, he decides to share himself. He decides to share himself and display his glory that others might enjoy him and enjoy his glory and that he might be brought more glory because he's worthy. So he creates the cosmos and he creates things. He creates the earth. He, He puts it full of animals and he creates human beings and it's a good world. And you see evidences of that good world all over the place, don't you? You see evidences of God's goodness just in humanity that we're reasonable people and that we have a moral sense, even though it's a fallen world. You, you see, just by being image bearers, the goodness of God. Well, then there's a problem. The problem is sin enters that good creation and what was designed perfectly uh, to run perfectly is no longer perfect and that is a giant cosmic problem. And so God puts this plan in place whereby he calls out this pagan from Ur of the Chaldees, named Abram. And uh, so don't think Ab- Abram was this goody two-shoes. Oh, I'm the best guy. Oh, hey, I'm so impressed with you, Abram. Uh, no, he was a pagan. He was Ricky Gervais. Imagine, God comes to Ricky Gervais, and Ricky Gervais believes God's promise, and it was credited, credited to Ricky Gervais's righteousness. Wow, that'd be something, wouldn't it? Well, that's Abram, the pagan. And through God's covenant with Abram, Abraham, will come a rescuer. Through that, God institutes a plan, and he's going to bring about a Messiah, a rescuer. And that's the promise that the Old Testament believers believed. Now, time advances, and there's judges, and there's kings, and then there's finally King David, and he establishes his kingdom. Very important, pivotal figure in, in, in the redemptive theater, David the city of David, Zion. And then uh, Solomon comes along. And then you know what happens? The kingdom splits. And Israel's in the north. That's 10 tribes of Israel in the north and two in the south, Israel and Judah. All right? We're almost there. They forget the God of their youth. They follow other gods. They don't worship the one true God. Over year after year, king after king, people a generation after generation. No, no, no. They've forgotten this covenant-making God, and he disciplines them. And the way he does that is he allows Syria, Assyria, Assyria to come and capture Israel and carry them away in captivity. Prophets are warning, prophets are warning. Israel's on the scene now. He's warning the southern kingdom, Judah, going, hey, you saw the decline up there? Guess what's gonna happen down here? I mean, we're, you're in trouble too, Judah. 
I mean, Israel got carried away. You're going to get carried away too. And indeed, it happens. The Babylonians capture the Assyrians and the Babylonians come down there and get Judah and they carry them away too. So that's where we are. That's, that's, that's the scene in which uh, Israel, uh, excuse me, Isaiah is ministering. Now, I want to show you a picture. Anybody ever seen that picture before? You know what that is? That's wedding rings taken from concentration camp um, prisoners uh, in the Holocaust. I mean, that's what these people are feeling. It's not that they just move to a different place and have a nice apartment and it's kind of a Soviet-style condominium. It's that. It's that they were taken from their land and their families were torn apart. And if that's what happens in marriages, what do you think happened to their kids? Gone too. That's what they were feeling. All right, so that brings us up to the, 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 our place today. Enter Isaiah. He uh, was the first of the major prophets, and he prophesied in, the, uh, in about 730 B.C. Uh, for, I don't know, 50 years or so. And um, he was given by God a message of warning that Judah would also be hauled off into captivity, but also that God would bring about restoration in time. Now, we flip back a couple of pages to one little weird name. I'm going to try to make all this make, make sense. Um, Chapter 45, verse 1, thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus. Who's Cyrus? How is, that a, how is that an important name in redemptive history? Well, Cyrus is the guy who founded the Persian Empire, and the Persian Empire is the one that's going to take over Babylon and then finally let the Israelite people come on home. Got it? That's where we are. Now, um, you can see a couple things from this. First, you can see that there's a saving God behind the scenes. You've got this rebellious people, and you've got this judgment that's been rendered, but things are moving, pieces are moving, people are moving, but there's always a God behind the scenes, worth so much so that he can call the leader of the Persian Empire, my servant Cyrus. It's not like Cyrus is like, oh, Lord, how can I change my life to uh, be more conformed to uh, your will? That's not what Cyrus is doing, but God is looking at the world going, you will do my will, and you will do my will, and you will do my will, and you will do my will. And Cyrus is my servant. So you've got a people um, also, secondly, in great cultural uh, desperation. There's this cultural heaviness that comes from three or four or five generations in slavery. And the people here, uh, or at least uh, here in, 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 uh, in, in later times, uh, they read this and they see that God has been working all along. All right, but the question remains, back to the question, who is the speaking voice in the first four verses of Isaiah 49? Who is it? It's sure not Isaiah talking to himself. Um, it's sure not, um, you know, um, where is it? God says, um, yeah, yeah, oh, in whom I'll be glorified. God says this, uh, he, he's the one in whom I'll be glorified. Uh, further, look at this strange thing. Um, look at verse three. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Um, now, who is that? Uh, I'll tell you in a second. The speaking voice also quotes the Lord. The Lord uh, called me from the womb. The Lord said to me, I'm submitting to you that the speaking voice in Isaiah 49 is Jesus Christ. 
And by the way, I'm not just pulling that out of a, a hat somewhere. I mean, it's, it's, it's widely thought by any sane scholar that this is Jesus Christ's speaking voice. Uh, this is a highly messianic stretch of verses. In fact, it starts uh, several chapters, I think in chapter 42. This is one of, the, 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 one of four servant songs, and uh, this is uh, attributed to Jesus. And um, so you'll see that there's this kind of kingly role that's going on, and now he's at a prophetic role. Uh, listen to me, O coastlands. Um, and interestingly, no other prophet says, listen to me. I mean, uh, they'll say, listen to me, but they're quoting God. But they don't say, listen to me. Hear my authority as far as the, my voice can be heard. Hear me. No one does that. No prophet, do, no prophet would dare to do that. But there's a speaking voice here doing it. Oh, coastlands, people from afar, they're called far and wide. Listen to me. And by the way, look at verse 2. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. What does that sound like? Sounds a lot like Revelation 1.16. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was shining like the sun in full strength. Sounds like Revelation 19.15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he... Well, listen to this, man. It's awesome. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is the speaker in Isaiah 49, ladies and gentlemen, the prophet, the uh, Savior, the King, the Messiah, Jesus. Now, back to this weird word in verse 3. God said to me, this speaking person, the Father says to Jesus, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Now, if you've spent any time in study over that, you'll see that the nation Israel is very clearly spoken of. Like, well, you look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, so the, the Yahweh, the Father, the Redeemer of Israel, and his Holy One, that would be Jesus. But you see that Israel is very clearly defined as the people Israel. But in verse 3, it's something different. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Israel, not Isaiah. Israel. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's of giant gospel significance. It's a name. God the Father is speaking to Jesus, and, he, and he's saying, your name is Israel. Now, what is meant by that? Here's what's meant by that. It has everything to do with the gospel. Um, your name is Israel because you're going to be the ideal Israel. You're going to be the real, perfect human life that they couldn't be. And that applies to you, by the way, if you believe what the Apostle, the Apostle Paul says about the true Israel, that we're, we're God's people. It is that Jesus Christ was the perfect human being. He came and lived the perfect life. He was the ideal Israel uh, that we might be set free of our sin, that he might pay the sin debt. That's the gospel message, y'all. Um, try as hard as you like. Give as much as you like. Shoulder as much as you like. Be as sincere as you like and cry, cry, cry. It will not pay a sin debt you cannot pay. But ideal Israel will. 
The message of the cross is that Jesus Christ lived the perfect life you didn't and couldn't live. And he said, I'll take their punishment. That's what he did on the cross. That's how he satisfied God's righteous wrath. All right, second point. The God who remembers. I'm going to move super quickly here because I know we got to blow through here. But, uh, you know, verses 8 and following is just so hopeful, isn't it? I mean, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's a little hard to understand in this chapter and some weird names and stuff. But, you know, verse 8 and following isn't that hard to understand. Uh, Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor, I answered you. A day of salvation, I've helped you. I will keep you. I'll give you as a covenant to the people to establish a land and so on. I say to the prisoners, come out. Those who are in darkness appear. They'll feed along the ways. They won't hunger and thirst. Uh, Wind and sun won't get them. I have pity on them and so on. Oh, and there's other uh, hopeful things too, like, oh gosh, look at um, at, uh, verse 20. The children of your bereavement yet uh, will yet say in your ears, the, the place is too narrow for me. Make room for me to dwell in, uh, and so on. He's saying, all those wedding rings, all those broken families, he's saying, oh, that's going to be restored. Families are going to come together, and the kids are going to run and play and say, oh, we don't have enough room to play, mommy. We need more room to run around. This place is too narrow for me. Uh, God is saying, I'm going to restore, restore, restore. It's this really good, happy news, this, this God who remembers. Now, verse 14. But Zion says, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Well, that's a valid concern, isn't it? Now, you got all this hopeful stuff written. Oh, God's going to do this, and God's going to do this, and God's going to do this. But they're looking at their situation going, yeah, but we've been in a bad spot for a long time. Surely he's forgotten us. Valid concern. But, you know, God says some stuff in chapter 50. You know, he, he, look at chapter 50, verse 1. Um, he goes, where's your mother's certificate of divorce? with which I sent her away? Or which of my creditors uh, is it to whom I have sold you? What he's saying there is, hey, did I kick you out? Did I divorce your mom and kick you out? Or did you leave me? He's saying, hey, do I owe you? I mean, do I owe you or do you owe me? I mean, who, who Zoomed who here? God's saying, you left me. And he makes it very clear. Behold, for your iniquities you were sold. For your transgressions, your mother was sent away. He's saying, you did this. All I was was faithful to what I told you I would do, which is if you turn away from me, I'm going to discipline you, which is what he did. All right. This is this God who remembers, and here's how it um, affects you. He got all this hopeful talk. And um, you got this sense, oh, the Lord has forsaken me. The answer, though, is in verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Oh, you get, the, you get the intimacy of that picture. I mean, you know how attentive a young mother is and how a household is in turmoil and how nobody's sleeping and there's bottle washing and all kinds of things that goes on. Can a mother forget? Oh, man, she's good at it. I mean, she's, if any time a woman is honed in her life, it's, it's babies and keeping them alive. And yet, it asks a good question. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? We go, it's hard to find a more profound example than that, I mean, of connection. (laughs) Can a woman forget that? Well, you ever heard of a baby in a dumpster or a field? 
I have plenty of times every year on the news. And God says, even these may forget you, yet I will not forget you. The most profound of human connections there, even if that fails, I'm not like that. I guess my Wi-Fi is not off. Oh, well. Um, I will not forget you because he's a God who remembers. You know, folks, um, we passed a, uh, a neighbor. I'll tell you who they are. Uh, you remember Steve Wiggins uh, with Big Tent Revival? You know, he's back in town. He was in California, uh, worship leading out there, and now he's back in town. He's Bellevue's uh, counterpart to me, uh, only like cool hair and thin and cuffed jeans and stuff. You know, he's, a lot, he's just a lot cooler. But, um, but he's over there. And uh, anyway, I saw their uh, California car pulled up. They live on our street. Isn't that crazy? They live five houses down from us. And uh, so th- this car pulls out, and I was going to get us some Jimmy John's for lunch yesterday. And I'm you know, wearing flip-flops, and I got a goofy hat on, and I'm wearing shorts, and I just look completely homeless. And I pulled over and got out of my car, and th- then their car drove up, and it, I thought it was Steve. It wasn't. It was this grown kid who I remember as a baby. And uh, I said, hey, man, how you doing? Oh, I thought you were Steve. He goes, no, I'm his son, Wyatt. How you doing? I go, man, good to see you, buddy. And, and the Ruth, the daughter was in the car too. He goes, oh, hey, he goes, ooh, I better shake with the other hand because I just had this tattoo done today. And uh, so we shake left. Anyway, he's got a tattoo on his hand. And, you know, it's a little loopy. Uh, tiny bit frilly, actually. But, but it's cool because it says, it says uh, something like uh, by faith or, or something like that. It's right here. It's right on the fleshy part of his thumb here. And it's about this big. And uh, I'm like, you know what? If, if anything, he's going to see that the rest of his life. I mean, if you're right-handed, every time you eat, you go, hey, by faith. Hey, by faith. Hey, how you doing? By faith. I mean, there's no time that he's not going to see that. By faith. Well, that, you know, if you like tattoos or not, that ain't a bad way to remember. God remembers. I mean, it's not like God just... Uh, forgets, and oh, shoot, that's right, Israel's down. Oh, that's right, those people down there uh, that I sent my uh, son uh, to save by his blood, I, I forgot they were going through that hard time. Uh, I meant to help them, forgot all about it. It's just a busy season, a busy season, Christmas and everything. That's not God. He sees it all the time. And isn't it interesting that in verse 16 it says, behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. The point is, God does not forget you, friend. Our last sermon point, the God who reassures. Um, Look at verses 18 and following. You've got these uh, really rich scenes where uh, he's saying, hey, lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather, they come to you. As I live, declares the Lord, you'll put them on as an ornament. You shall bind them on as a bride does. What he's saying is, look around. I know it's bleak right now, but I'm going to restore. I'm going to restore you, and I want to reassure you that I'm going to restore you. I want to reassure you that I remember you in your situation, and I'm going to restore you, and I'm going to put good things around you in your life and let your kids run wild. Uh, He goes, oh, I'm going to say some, man, behold, I'll lift my hand to the nations, raise my signal to the peoples, uh, and so on. Kings shall be your foster fathers. Queens, your nursing mothers, with their faces at the ground, they'll lick your boots. Oh, you see all these foreign dignitaries that you're so afraid of? Well, let me tell you what. If you're afraid of Kim Jong-un, don't worry. He's going to lick your boots and raise your kids for you. Okay, maybe that's not the best scenario, but... (laughs) 
They'll be subservient to you, is what God is saying. And he's speaking in an immediate sense, of course, but he's speaking in an ultimate sense too, an ultimate sense that we can grasp and joy in. And then he says some really powerful things too, like, oh, check this out. I'll make your oppressors eat their own flesh, verse 26. They'll be drunk with their own blood as with wine. And I know you're going, oh, Merry Christmas, awesome passage, Jim. What does that even mean? Well, basically he's saying, when an army lays siege to a city and they stop in all supplies from coming and going, well, those people in that city get very desperate when they run out of food and water. And you know that you don't know that people will eat themselves. They'll drink their own blood for liquid. Oh, I would never do that. I'd rather die before I did that. Oh, you'd do it. No, I wouldn't do it. I just wouldn't do it. I wouldn't feel, I wouldn't feel good about it. Oh, yes, you would. I mean, Voltaire writes about a lady who, yeah, it was like, whose left butt cheek are we going to cut off today? (laughs) Really, Voltaire writes about that. Famine. Uh, Well, it's my butt cheek today, and it's your butt cheek tomorrow, Uh, and hopefully a bigger butt cheek uh, on Thursday. And, uh, you know, we'll have to sit funny for the rest of our lives, but at least we'll live. He's saying, oh, you afraid of your oppressors? I got a handle on your oppressors. I can do whatever I want to your oppressors. I can stop all supplies to them if I want to. This is the God who reassures. Now let's apply all thing, these things with our, our closing thought. Um, you know, I, I put this in the, I say Jesus fixes the smashed and the broken and the sad. Can I flip it to a, a little bit happier tone? Let's change the wording of that to this. Jesus is the authentic reason for your soul to be at peace. That's a good Christmas card thought, isn't it? And it's not a conceptual peace either. It's not a wishful thinking or an optimistic attitude. Um, I don't know about you, but my skin crawls when I see Mary and uh, spirit, warmth, and all these kind of like tidings on a Starbucks cup. Just these arbitrary words on a Target ad or a Lexus ad, just spirit, mm, peace. What do those mean? They're just thrown out there out of context. They're like these fake ideas. I'm talking about a real idea. I'm talking about Christ who came to pay a very great debt and an eternal one that the debtors couldn't pay. Christ pays it. That's a basis for real peace. That's easy to understand, isn't it? We couldn't pay something, but Christ did pay something. That's a basis for peace. What was the something we couldn't pay? Perfect righteousness. In other words, God says, I'm perfect. I designed you to be perfect. You have not acted perfect. You're imperfect. So you need perfect rescue. That's what you need is rescue. So, ladies and gentlemen, the Savior is the sole agent of peace on this earth. Um, and it ties to Christ's advent. Listen. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus fixes the smashed and broken and sad. Jesus is the authentic reason for your soul to be at peace when it can be had in no other way. Lord, thank you for our Lord Jesus. Thank you for intervening into what is obviously a broken and traumatized world. Behind every shiny door is, um, are layers and layers of complexity and trauma and questions and brokenness. And you have broken into that to give us Jesus, uh, the founder and perfecter in, of our faith. We thank you for him. And I pray, Lord, that um, his peace would rumble in the hearts of this people, this flock, for your glory and for their good, for their comfort, for their reassurance. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Merry Christmas. Amen.